Digital Strategy and Management Podcast with your host, Richard DeCock. A very big and warm welcome to the Search for Clarity Podcast. I'm Richard DeCock, and today we will be joined by the incredible Didier Bonnet, one of the original researchers and authors on digital transformation, to find out just how far the apple has fallen from the tree. Didier's research and authoring on the topic of digital transformation dates back to just before 2011. But he's probably more well known for his work as a contributing author on the book Leading Digital, which was published in 2014. He's been rated 11th in the top 50 business strategy thought leaders by Thinkers360. He has a PhD from Oxford University in England, and he's currently a professor of strategy and digital transformation at IMD Business School in London. Not only that, but he's also currently an executive vice president at Capgemini Invent. So we are ideally speaking to one of the central thought leaders and sources of information for digital transformation. And we're really lucky that we had Didier join us today. Right, before we begin, though, it's important for me to let you know that I'm a full-time Microsoft employee and that this podcast is independent and it is in no way associated with Microsoft. The thoughts and ideas shared by myself and all my guests on the Search for Clarity are our own and in no way associated to Microsoft's business, services, or practices. And with that, let's enjoy the podcast. Right, so Didier, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise and your experience on this really important topic that's uh, been emerging for the last decade. And so the big topic today is digital transformation. Did the apple fall far from the tree? And it's really important topic and and one close to my heart because when I've been working on it for the last few years, I I think there's been, it's been interesting to see the different directions that this uh, topic has grown. Now, when I first met with the deer, I got this beautiful backdrop of an office, a very modern library in the back. And at the centerpiece sort of embedded in the middle of the library was this Fender Stratocaster guitar on the far right of the room, beautiful classical guitar. Dear, are you a musician? Yeah, uh, yes, I love music, and and I uh, I wouldn't say that I'm a, a guitarist. I, I actually play drums mainly, uh, but <laughs> but I do uh, have a, a little practice at guitar. And my my son is really the guitarist in the house, so he actually owns uh, most of this guitar, not all of them. <laughs> I suppose it'd be a bit difficult putting the drum set as the centerpiece to the library. Exactly, the drum set is not very practical in an office, unfortunately, <laughs> not practical at all, according to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite musician? Oh, I mean, I I, I like uh, I'm, I've got very eclectic tastes, you know, from jazz to uh, rock and all sorts. But uh, I mean, I, I was uh, I was and still is a, a great fan of Led Zeppelin. Ah, so wonderful! It's a band I really treasure. Right. So, Didier, you've published more than thirteen critically acclaimed publications on digital transformation since two thousand and eleven. And these weren't small. These were published through MIT Sloan, Capgemini, Harvard Business Review. And then there's the major publication itself, Leading Digital, Turning Technology into Business Transformation, uh, which you wrote with George Westerman and Andrew McAfee. Now, since 2014, you've now written, uh, well, I'd say at the end of last year, uh, 2020, a, a, a refresher paper from, with George um, called The New Elements of Digital Transformation, which reviews where you are six years after the initial publication in 2014. Could you tell us about your earlier research into digital transformation, namely what drew you to the research originally, and how did you get involved with leading digital and other key-related publications? Okay. Um, 
So, so maybe uh, uh, just by way of background, I, I, I used to work a lot and, and run the, uh, the practice for uh, telecom, media, and entertainment uh, within Capgemini Consulting. And that's really, when I was working there, I saw really what happens uh, to the music industry, to the public uh, publication industry, publishing industry, uh, and to a number of other industries that were really being tremendously uh, uh, disrupted in, in uh, you know, at, at the time, I guess, disruption wasn't as, a, as a, a common as, as it is today, but sure. we really saw fundamental changes in the way that the product and the services were being distributed, uh, priced, and, and, and consumed to some extent by, by customers. So that led me to believe that, um, and this is around, you know, the, the late 2000, that led me to really think through, wow, my God, if that's, spreads into other sectors, we're going to see some pretty fundamental changes uh, in the way uh, industries are actually organized and, and competition is being deployed. So, so I, I moved out of uh, telecom and media and, and really start focusing across sectors uh, in the, you know, and try to look at what those digital technologies could do uh, to, to pretty traditional industries like banking, insurance, manufacturing, retail, and so on and so forth. And, and at that time, I, I started working with the MIT um, to really try to, we were trying to do really two things. One is, you know, this is back in 2009, digital transformation was not a word that was used commonly uh, as it is today. Sure, so it yeah. wasn't like the thing uh, <laughs> it is today. So we were really trying to sort of put some flesh around you know, what does it actually mean and, and how does it actually work? And then really focus on um, really the large traditional organization. And our, our thinking at the time was, you know, we've, we, we've now learned a lot about publishing, telecom, music, uh, uh, technology companies, but no one is really uh, focusing on the large traditional companies that have got sometimes hundreds of years of existence. And uh, as you know, very large um, um, you know, existing legacy uh, system processes and, and, and ways of operating. And we were really trying to say, okay, the exam question was really simple. It's to say, you know, are there in this wide world any companies that are using digital technology to really fundamentally change their operations? Uh, and if yes, what it is that they're doing different? <laughs> Yeah, because I think everyone, yeah, everyone seems to think when you mention digital transformation that it's really the um, or digital mastery is really the small, smaller companies that have you know like the uh, that that have sort of been able to quickly unlock that. Um, and and when I get asked very often from large organisations, yeah, but that that doesn't really apply to us because we're we're so big. Um, but to your point, that's that's not the case. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that was really our focus. I mean, you know, we love startups and all the tech companies, but, but we were really trying to put the, the emphasis on the other side where really transformation is a very complex exercise if you've been in operation for 150 years and you're covering 28 countries. You know, it just means something very, very different in terms of capability, skill set, and how you actually approach that. So that's, that's, that was really the focus at the, at the outset. Uh, and of course, after you know what, what what we ended up with was this framework that that uh, uh, it, it was captured in in the book Leading Digital, which is really tried to say, okay, there there are two parts to that. One is obviously if you're going to do digital transformation, you need to invest uh, smartly in digital technology to sort of influence your 
the way you connect with your customers or the efficiency of your operations or or how you 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 collaborate with your employees but it but there was a second you know if that were the only dimension then the the, the richest company uh, or, or the one with more more capital would always win and, and this mm. is not what we found in our research so there was another dimension that was equally important which is the sort of what we call the digital leadership capabilities which is really around how do you actually affect change inside your organization uh, having introduced these kind of technologies and the two dimensions are uh, at minima e equally important and i would even say uh, you know with hindsight of a decade of digital transformation that the the softer side the leadership mm. side is actually more important I, I would agree with that. And so I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but I noticed when I was doing my research on the topic that uh, when Leading Digital was published in 2014, a few months later, the search keywords for digital transformation and digital strategy on the, um, your browsers shot through the roof and are still climbing to this day, but excessively, like a significant explosion of growth. And I'd always hypothesized that Leading Digital was by and large the catalyst in the establishment of digital transformation as we know it today. What do you believe is the key element about the original research that would have sparked this revolution? And what do you really feel created the burning platform that sparked the attention that it got? Well, so, so yes, so I've seen those numbers on, on whether, you, you know, you look at Google search or anything else, you'll see a massive increase in the uh, uh, search and utilization of the word to the point where today it's become like a, you know, virtually folk wisdom, you know, <laughs> everyone... It's like the you know if you if you you don't have a single annual report without the mention of digital transformation, uh, I'd I'd love to think that uh, you know it's because of our our book that the uh, the term shot ahead, <laughs> but I don't have the data to prove that. I, I think I think we could do that. <laughs> but let's assume it is okay. So it makes me makes me makes me and my colleague happy. No, I think what happened is people suddenly realized. I think what we what we were trying to do is really to to. Uh, you know, look at a very practical managerial way of saying, hey, this is this is something that's really important that's going to radically change a number of ways that industry behave, but also ways about how you actually manage your corporation and try to really put a framework for senior executives to start thinking through, okay, what would it mean for me in retail in the UK or in Japan or in China? Uh, you know, what, what are the implications and what are the levers that we can actually play around with um, that are important? Because remember, at the same time, uh, the nature of consumers, uh, consumer behavior, but also consumption was changing. Yeah, right. uh, uh, consumers being, you know, we're all equipped with incredible amount of computing power in our pockets, but also consumption. Like, you know, we saw the gig economy appearing. We saw... Um, you know, network sharing, for instance, and, and and things like that, which was really fundamentally changing the nature of demand as well. So it was just not a, a transformation from the supply side, but also from the demand side. Yeah, I mean, one of the big, I think one of the big drivers of the big burning platforms that I picked up on was that master, digital masters are 26% more profitable than their average industry competitors, that they were generating about 9% more revenue from existing physical capacity and drive more efficiency in their existing products and services. I would have thought that would also have been quite a an ear prick for um, many executives, especially especially ones that started to see the disruption occurring from the smaller companies. That was something that really caught my attention when reading through the yeah. publication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so we we're we're you know one of the questions that was immediately asked by a lot of 
uh, clients and, and industry observer when we came up with a framework is, okay, this is all very well. We all want to be digital masters, but, you know, do we make more money? Which is a totally fair question and also yeah. a very difficult one. So, and at the time, if you remember, you know, most of the studies and, and research that was done was very declarative. So, yeah. you know, you go to see somebody and say, you know, you've done a digital transformation in your customer experience. Did you get any benefit? And it was very rare that people would say no, because they were usually in charge of these programs. So, yeah, absolutely. So, it slightly, so it was slightly subjective as a, as a measure. So what we did is use our, our maturity framework to actually go back into our sample of around 400 industry and try to look at the maturity on one side and then try to measure uh, the financial impact uh, through published data, so actual data uh, from published financials. And, and the two effects that we found uh, were the two you mentioned. So, the, so the, the first one was really the more you invested in digital technology, the more you had efficiency in your sales, if you will. And, and, and mm. logically, that, that makes sense because if you think about at the time where take retailers, for instance, launching e-commerce platforms, you're, you're kind of increasing the reach uh, to your consumer without fundamentally increasing the asset base. You do a little bit, but it's marginal. Okay. So that was the first effect. But if you notice, it was very single digits, you know, so it, it was not dramatic. Yeah. What was really more dramatic was the impact on profitability. Uh, and when we look through, why would that be? And it was really all around the notion that, um, you know, at the time, uh, if you remember, a, a lot of executives were saying, this is great. We're going to do loads of pilots. We're going to do loads of experiments all over the place. And what, what that showed that was, was the, the need to have a coordinated approach to this kind of transformation. So in other words, that the old um, uh, strategy of saying, let a thousand flower bloom and, and you know, we'll pick up what works and, and scale it actually didn't work. What you ended up with is a thousand right. disconnected flowers. So it needed, needed to really have some coordinated and, and we make that point very strongly in the book. But, you know, it's, it's top-down driven. It doesn't mean that you, you don't have bottom-up effects, but it needs to have a, a, a sort of a top-down driven type of approach. And it needs to be coordinated in a, in a governance kind of way because digital transformation cuts right across um, the, the sort of traditional silos that we've created in organizations. Silos be, you know, could be functions, could be departments, could be... Uh, geographies and so on and so forth, and and you do need to sort of, to some extent, um, you know, using a crude word, you know, paper over the cracks of our traditional organisation for governance systems that allows you to really uh, drive the best application and scale them. Okay, and 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 even today, you know, when I when I when I work with clients, what I see is a lot of the mistakes are still this notion of not being able to coordinate and scale the successes to any. To any significant advantage, uh, so you you know so so you have companies having uh, you know dozens of pilots running around the place, but never being managed, never managing to actually scale any of them, which is uh, unfortunate because the the as, as you know the the ROI and the business case is really on the scale part, not on the experimentation. Well, yeah, I think system theory also suggests that just changing the elements of a system isn't going to give you the transformation you're looking for. It needs yeah. to be at a much sort of meta layer. And I guess that's where your leadership capability comes in to really start driving that growth and that scalability of any of those initiatives. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and I think it also shows the, 
you know, as you mentioned, the, the complexity of the system, because, you know, at the same time, and this is one of the big change that uh, we've seen, and this is why, you, you know, we've, we've updated a little bit our view is, is the importance of employees and people in that Absolutely, process, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and I would say that our, our, if there was a, uh, something we under emphasized in the first uh, research and in the book was, it was the question of people, capabilities, skills, uh, um, you know, collaboration, which has really come to the fore because at the end of the day, everyone, you know, now that we have a, a nearly a decade or, or, or a decade of, of experience, you can see that where people are struggling is not in acquiring the technology, it's actually in making people change the way they work. Uh, and that, that really is, uh, that's why we've emphasized this employee experience uh, uh, dimension in the, in the new model because to me, that's uh, become one of the biggest limitations, to be honest. So now it's six years later since the original publication in 2014. Uh, when I say the original, of course, I'm talking about the big one. One would expect a lot has changed since the original work, and I think 2020 is a testament to, to that in a, in a very large way. But what, mm -hmm. what prompted you and George to revisit your original work? So two things. I mean, one one was the uh, um, you know we we were very conscious that it's always uh, be, beyond just a framework, which is actually today remarkably stable. I mean, you know, I would still the, the question would be, you know, what would you write differently if you had to rewrite the book or whatever? Uh, actually, the framework still is totally applicable. So the components of governance that I mentioned, uh, customer experience, the operation. I, I do mention. I did mention that. You know the employee side is and the people side is much more important than than we anticipated, but but I think what prompted us was you know it's in, in a technology field where it moves that fast, we were saying wow you know six years of digital transformation is like a hundred years of, <laughs> of organizational <laughs> movement you know it's like like yes. think I mean if you if you remember in the original book we kind of eluded. Uh, uh, in some chapters to artificial intelligence, but it certainly wasn't yes. what it is today in terms of uh, at least managerial focus and and uh, you know whether whether it's it's over hype or not is another question. But it 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 is you know so these kind of things were were being driven. We got a lot smarter uh, in analytics generally. Uh, um, you know, corporation were really advancing their understanding of. How customers were behaving digitally. So we've we've seen a lot of this progress. You know, we've had uh, everyone pretty much being trained in agile design thinking and all this kind of stuff. That were really uh, our assumption was really you know we we must have made huge progress somewhere, and we have, and we have. We being you know large corporations, but but we were sort of trying to understand. So so that was what really prompted from our side was to say wow. You know, it, it could be that that there's been some massive changes uh, in these in, in the field of digital transformation. The second one was really because the first article we published in SMR was was reasonably uh, successful, and and uh, and Sloan was actually asking us to say, you know, you you guys should do an update <laughs> uh, and, and and really see what happens. So it, so it forced us to really look at the individual components uh, of what we'd say back in, in 2014 and really rethink, okay, what has really fundamentally changed? Uh, and as you can see from the, from the, uh, from the uh, paper, I would say masses, masses of changes uh, in the technology side because we have much more connected 
products, systems, and everything else, we have much more, uh, uh, I, I would say, maturity in the customer behavior uh, on digital mm -hmm. platforms. Uh, we have business models that we're, you know, we've made huge progress in understanding these famous digital platforms, particularly multi-sided platforms and how they work. So we have made huge progress in trying to understand all of this. Uh, but I would say the fundamental structure of what matters, uh, you know, business model, customer experience, operation, employee experience, and digital platforms that actually allow you and enable you to do all that. I haven't really changed that much. I mean, the components are, are, are roughly the same. It's more in the individual components that we've seen masses of progress uh, being made. So since the first research publication, I'm sure you've seen many companies trailing the way in adoption um, on the notion of digital transformation. And I think some, something that possibly would have been very entertaining is seeing a lot of vendors and consulting firms coming up with their own proprietary frameworks and a plethora of good authors writing on the topic itself. In terms of interpretation of the original work and the way it was adopted, where would you say the biggest gap in understanding has been? Or if we put it another way, what has been the biggest inhibitor to companies succeeding with digital transformation in your view? So I, I, I still think the uh, people are... So let me put it two ways. I, I think the biggest inhibitor today that I see for the companies, particularly the companies that are... Um, you know, really rolling into what I call the second phase of digital transformation. The first one being, let's digitize our current existing operations. Okay, so we introduce technology in the current processes and so on. The second phase being more, let's actually transform and use the technology to its potential so we can serve customer better or run our operation more successfully through, you know, IoT, AI, and all this kind of stuff. Right. So even in the people that are motoring on the latter, um, we're still seeing that the biggest inhibitor is around people. Uh, right. And people being, um, of course, traditional change management stuff that we've seen for years, like resistance to change and so on and so forth. But I would say a, a difference layer, which is more around skilling people. Uh, and and I, I, have a, I, I was talking to a client um, uh, last week who were telling me, you know, we've been, we're actually the victim of our success. So now, <laughs> at first, at first, we were trying to roll out all these digital transformation programs for the corporation. Now, everyone is buying into it. And, we've and opened we have a second box. problem. Yeah, we don't have enough capabilities to actually deploy all this stuff. Sure. So, so they're thinking of creating a, a mass reskilling um, university within their corporation to retrain, uh, globally retrain people so, so they can be a, uh, uh, more effective on, on the digital side. So I think, you know, back to the answer to your question, the biggest inhibitor, I, I would definitely put, you know, employees, people, getting people to really work differently using this technology is still the, the bigger bigger impediment. See, so I, I, I could see that as well, but one of the biggest things I thought was a, a massive inhibitor was the lack of a clear industry definition, especially at an organizational level. Very frequently when I come across organizations, it becomes quite clear that for many of them, they, they've, they've got the strategy in place, but it's, it's something like cloud first, or it's, you know, we're modernizing our workplace, et cetera. And do you believe this has been a contributor to organizations successfully adopting digital transformation? Yes, I, and I, I, yes, absolutely. And, and I feel to some extent um, really sorry for, for, um, you know, business leaders and CEOs that are faced with this 
massive overhyping of <laughs> of digital transformation that that we have today because i don't think what happened is a lack of definition i think you know you can argue i mean there's like 20 different definition of what digital transformation is but i mean you you know you can you can be fairly academic about it and try to find the best definition at the end of the day it's pretty simple uh what what we're what what digital transformation actually means and i, and I think we provided a a, a pretty uh standard definition in our in our work in in the early 2000 but i i think what happened is different is it the the whole term was bastardized and and hijacked by <laughs> by a large number of people uh, um you know like tech companies who are selling you cloud and this is the enabler you know the ultimate solution to digital transformation is cloud and then you go to somewhere else and the ultimate uh, uh, answer to digital transformation is my e-commerce platform and so so you you've got this massive hijacking of the term uh, to describe components of of digital transformation sure. that that really don't most of them don't transform on their own uh, and and it's back to your point about uh, it, it digital transformation is systemic i mean it's it's um, you know you have to get various components together leadership customers operations business model uh, you know the way you price and so on and so forth if you if you don't get all these elements uh, in a role then then you will not succeed right, and, and yeah. that's that's why it's complex and, and my fear it's not today and the reason i say what i feel i feel sorry is is executives are being bombarded with like the latest solution to your digital transformation or the free way you're going to succeed or the seven ways you're going to succeed and all that and, and actually you know we we must remember that uh, and and i think it's something a lot of people have forgotten that people are looking for instant solution instant gratification you know, digital transformations are long cycles. Yeah, three years or so, if I remember from your book, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I have clients that have been at it for 10 years. And once once you finish the first phase, wow, it opens up all sorts of opportunities for the next one. So these are long cycles. And we should, you know, we shouldn't be looking for the silver bullet or anything because exactly. there ain't any. Exactly, uh, yeah. And, and I think all, the, all these technologies, you know, I mean, technology progress is is massive and, and amazing uh but but it's only one one of the components of 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 what needs to be done so so i think you know this this notion of long cycles commitment uh stick to what you're trying to do is is really important rather than you know going for the latest you know fad and, and to some extent you know we've had uh, you know the the fad about uh, uh, analytics. Now it's a fad about AI, and then it'll be at one point it was IoT, and all these things are useful, of course. They need strategic context, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. There's just one component of of the solution, and that and that and that's why it's long cycles, and that's why it's complex, you know, and, and difficult. And I suppose it's 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 tricky because I know uh, many vendors would be. Uh, you know, with with the best intent, driving a lot of these, and, and I suppose this is where the message gets mixed up because these are all paramountly important to effective digital transformation. Things like cloud and so forth, the the parts they play are pivotal to the success of the strategy. I think it's just uh, clarity for my side, did you? It's the it's making sure you have a clear strategy. That's the that's the trick here. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, I I think that you know the simplest analogy is like 
of course, to, to, you know, to use your car efficiently, you need an engine, you need tires, you need a steering wheel, you need plenty of things. But, but it's when it, all these components are together that you get a good experience of driving. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of the same. Yeah. You know, people are, you know, if you sell tires or if you sell a steering wheel, you can't claim that you're giving the ultimate driving experience. You're not. You're giving the component <laughs> of the... That's a good analogy. Thing. You know, and that's kind of, kind of where we are today, unfortunately. So, so there's a lot of overhyping, uh, um, which is, you know... To what extent we should rejoice because it means that uh, this notion of digital transformation is at the forefront of every executive and every every corporation. So that's great. Absolutely. But I think we need to cut a little bit through the fog and go back to some of the basics uh, that that we outlined back in 2014 about you know what do you need to put in place to make sure this transformation have increased chances of success because the failure rate, uh, as you've seen, are, are pretty high. So um, absolutely, yeah. you know, so, so, so that's, a, you know, the risk profile of, of doing a large transformation is, is not insignificant. Ab- absolutely. So let's go get a little bit more practical for a minute. So let's briefly dig into the capabilities themselves, namely your new findings. So you state that the leadership capability, the elements such as vision, engage and governance, they've endured. But in the digital capability elements such as customer experience, internal operations, business model innovation, those have expanded, and as we mentioned before, more prominence has been given to the digital platform itself. Can you share a bit more about these changes and what, I mean, we've spoken about them, but what, what do they mean in practice for practitioners out there? So, so I think the, yeah, so that's a complex, uh, complex question because but let's take customer experience as, a, as an example. So we've been through uh, a number of ways where we've seen, as I mentioned earlier, consumers behaving differently, Patterns of consumption changing quite radically. Mm-hmm. And then we had this wave of uh, it's all about customer data. So, you know, he, he or she who has more, more data will, will win the customer battle. <laughs> and actually, when you, when you look more in detail, of course, we've become more intelligent. Of course, customer experience as, as a practice has become much more scientific than, than it used to be because of the data side. But, you know, the design of the experience is still important. And design is about creativity. Uh, so we've seen more introduction of, of creative skills into, into this process. Uh, at the back end, we've also seen a lot more um, uh, work, uh, and I'm talking of the company that do that well, uh, spending time of, on the emotional engagement of, of their customers, you know, the, the way that customers participate not just at the end of a value chain, but participate in the process of uh, uh, building your products or your services. Um, so I think that you know what's become more complex is if you if I just take the the customer experience, it's kind of you you need good experience design creativity in the way that you deliver the system. You need, of course, good customer intelligence uh, to be able to refine uh, to recommend uh, you know the next best purchase or whatever but you also need to understand the softer side of the emotional engagement with your with your products and, and your services and and I think it's people that are getting this this recipe right uh, that are actually shooting ahead not just Makes sense, you know yeah. again one component of that so you can have a you know the best customer data you want if your if your experience is terrible then nobody will stick with you you know and that's that, yeah uh, and particularly now I mean Customers are becoming more and more fickle because if it doesn't work within, you know, the first two minutes of, of using your app, for instance, they'll go somewhere else, you know, and, and, and so they should. Uh, 
and, and then the second part is once they've used something that works really well, and we've seen that with Uber and, 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 and other platforms, uh, that becomes a de facto standards from, from which every, everyone else is judged. Uh, and so that's raising the bar in terms of expectation. Uh, and, and I could have the same thing around, you know, so this is for, for the customer experience. For the operation, it's really more around, you know, we've talked about automation for a long, long time. And in fact, it has happened in a number of manufacturing environments like automotive, for instance, for a long time. But we're really now getting into a, a much more profound way uh, by which we automate processes uh, through things like, like, like RPA and others. We are getting really to the point where um, most of the machinery and most of the products are being connected uh, dynamically so, so they can transfer data. Uh, and this is kind of IoT and, and another type of application, which, uh, you know, are still, we shouldn't dream, we're still in the infancy of these developments. But the, the, the fundamental changes for operation is we are able to get data from the point of use, which we, which we never been able to to do before so in terms of decision making uh, you know data management's become absolutely essential uh, to running good operations so you can what does that mean practically that means that you could be sitting in uh, you know on the coast in the south of france and actually drive your engineer in canada uh, for repair and maintenance you know because uh, through all this technology so so a really different way of managing um, i would say connected systems within organization. And I think, um, you know, as much as we spent a long, long time uh, in the early part of digital transformation on the customer side, and quite rightly, because that's that's usually important, we're seeing an explosion now on the operations because, uh, you know, we have these new technologies that really provide uh, amazing, and, and we haven't talked about robotics, but we can have the same argument about robotics. I mean, it's amazing ability to really provide a step change uh, in the efficiency and the effectiveness of, of operations, so that's that's you know that those are the components. And then for for employees, what what really matters is, is so, and that's why we've put employee back uh, in, in in the center. Is uh, of course we I think we've done quite well in uh, I would say employee using uh, different tools. Uh, in, in deploying collaborative tools, uh, you know, file exchange, uh, zooms, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I think what what uh, what we're seeing now is a really different sort of, of of game. I mean, we need to, you know, I've mentioned the reskilling and the building the capabilities for employees and, and, and people in organization to really use their, these tools to to the maximum. We're also seeing a lot of uh, what we call augmentation in the paper, which is this notion of how do you get employees and algorithm or machines to work together effectively. Uh, and, and I think we've passed the stage now where, you know, it's kind of robots are going to steal my jobs and everybody's going to be an employee type of discussion. I think it's much more so. Of course, there will be losses through automation, but of course, there will also be gains. I think the, the important part in, in, the, in the next few years is really to try to understand how we get these, these uh, machines and people to work together effectively uh, within organization. Uh, as well as reskilling people, and then and then the last one, which we 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 know we, is kind of a buzzword. We call it flex forcing, but but I think it's got a profound uh, implication. Is you know we we are today talking about uh, with organization who have about up to thirty to forty percent of their employee who are not on their payroll, 
Very good point, yeah. Uh, and 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 this may sound like, uh, you know, so who are they? They are gig workers, they are contractors, they are uh, professional services people, whoever. Uh, and, and, and I think the world is moving more to a model where the old notion of a company owns everything, owns all assets, owns all employee, and everybody else is outside of the wall, uh, is is kind of crumbling. You know, we're, we're, we're moving to a model where it's more about how do you orchestrate ecosystems of partners, but also of employees. Uh, sure. and, and that's got a huge implication for uh, how, and particularly for, you know, if you think about uh, HR uh, uh, leaders in, in this world who really think, well, how do we actually run companies where over half probably of the of the of the of the people would do the work are actually not on our payroll you know so let me give you a practical examples uh you know one of my clients uh, was asking me the other day do i give them an email address <laughs> you know it's, it's a really really small example but it's just one of the thousands of problems that that uh, and opportunities to some extent because you know what 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 this flex forcing does is gives you huge amount of variable cost base. Uh, so in other words, you can tap on these people when you need them and not when you don't need them, which is a massive, massive leverage in terms of of, uh, of the cost pile of an organization. So, so And I think 2020 has really contributed a lot to that as well because we we had to get a lot more flexible with our resources. Right. And, then, and then we have, you know, we haven't mentioned mentioned the C word yet, but but <laughs> but I think what we've seen uh you know, in, in the in the last uh, in the last uh, year, also is you know if I if I go back a few years, to be honest, one uh, you know I mentioned people as being one of the big inhibitors. So we we became really good at deploying uh, applications, tools, collaboration platforms, blah blah blah, all this kind of stuff. And the key to uh, to making to making the ROI was always you know the adoption. And 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 we know that the the business case is actually in the adoption of tools, not in the deployment of tools. And we spend months and years with 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 clients trying to build adoption models so people could see the benefit of actually using these tools in their day to day work. And then comes COVID, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know it's no more about uh, adoption of these tools because the tools are actually the only game in town. So if you don't want to sit in front of your PC and do video calls or exchange files or collaborate on different platforms, then you're going to be pretty lonely in the workplace because that, there's nothing else. You know? So I think that to me, that's, you know, I, and, and you've probably heard the same saying about people saying, oh, you know, we've achieved the, the 10 years of digital transformation in 10 months or three months or whatever, you know, we've heard that all over the place. I, I think that's a little bit simplistic. What we've seen is we've seen an amazing acceleration of the adoption uh, because of necessity. But, and that doesn't give you competitive advantage. And that's, I think, the key message, right? That just brings you up to speed with everyone else. So it's, it's not how I would view actual te- a proper digital capability transformation, if that makes sense. Yes, I think it does. So, so you know, this is a question that that everyone's asking. Is like, you know, oh, is that a blip in the system? So, like, when we go back to normal, whatever that is, you know, everything will go back to resistance and non-adoption and things like that. I don't think so. I think I think we've seen a mass. We will see a massive increase in in the in people's or employees' uh, adoption capabilities of these tools because they oh, sure. they've, yeah. they've 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 been through the pain of trying to figure out 
how this platform works. And then suddenly you realize, well, actually, they're quite similar in their format, so I can use several and so on and so forth. So I think we'll see that. Where, where I think it's overplayed a little bit is it doesn't mean that your digital transformation has advanced by 10 years, because when you go back into your operation and you still have to connect your product and do your IoT application, you will find exactly the same hurdles as you had before COVID. So I think it's accelerated a big part of transformation, but not the whole part in, in, in my view. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, Didier, it's been absolutely wonderful speaking to you, and this has all been extremely informative. I'm sure our listeners are going to really, really enjoy this, uh, this session we've had today. As a final message out there for everyone who's practicing digital transformation, desperately trying to get this right, what, what's your key message you'd like to leave with people today? One is, so I would say, you know, don't get carried by the hype. Digital transformation is hard work, long cycles, but there are things that we've learned in 10 years about what you need to put in place to at least maximize your chances of success. So get those right. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and there are various phases in digital transformation from the initiation of the first one to how you run and scale uh, uh, you know your initiatives. So, so really try to you know stick to it. If if it gets too complicated, I would say limit limit the impact. Do something very well uh, until it's actually delivered, and then move on to the next one. You know you don't have to do everything in in one go. But this this uh, so so stick to your investment and your commitment, and and really don't forget the basics, the the basic element that actually make this thing work. And it's really easy to do. Um, so th those would be my, my main message. Thank you for joining us, and I really hope you enjoyed our session today. Please subscribe to future podcasts on your favorite podcast platform or go to www.thesearchforclarity.com. Keep an eye out for our next exciting episode in two weeks. Until then, take care and stay safe.